happy Wednesday, everybody. And thank you so much for joining us here on the Transportation and Logistics Podcast, powered by Atlanta Dispatch and Humblebee Enterprises. I'm very excited to be here with a very special guest. Uh, we got our brother Elisha of Ace Insurance Agency. He's been here before, but we're very, very grateful to have him again. Uh, and before we uh, get started, uh, I did want to share a message, right? So there's been a soundbite that's been my very, 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 very most favorite soundbite of 2022. And this is what Pastor Mike Todd said. He said, the greatest version of you is not the I can do anything version of you. The greatest version of you is the disciplined version of you. The greatest version of you is the one that has parameters. And then he gives examples. I don't do that. I don't drink that. I don't go there with these people. I'm focused, right? And we have two weeks left in 2022. And I pray that, you know, you take heed from those words as we enter 2023. Um, but without further ado, what's up, brother? How you doing today, Elisha? I'm good. I'm good. How you guys doing today? Uh, brother, very, very blessed. Thank you so much for asking. I appreciate you for being here. You know, I did want to go ahead and set the foundation for this discussion. This is about really insurance. It's about drainage, obviously, um, but you know, the, specifically the way that insurance intersects with drainage, okay? And, uh, you know, again, setting that foundation, uh, we know that the FMCSA requires uh, $750,000 on automobile liability coverage to get a carrier authority. Uh, most brokerages, however, require a little bit more. So let's, we're going to say that uh, most motor carriers have to have at least 100K in cargo coverage and 1 million in automobile and general liability coverage to move freight for them. That's just the industry standard. Sometimes you have more. Sometimes uh, a broker might say you have to have 250K on the cargo and, uh, you know, you got to have an aggregate of 2 mil on those other ones. But look, let me ask you this, you know, although general liability coverage is not always required, um, you know, by domestic truckload brokerages, is it a staple in the drage world? Like, do you have to have general liability to do drage? Yes. And wh- it's why 100% is it? required. Um, <clears throat> because of the, the risk tolerance for a lot of these equipment providers, remember, you're not only doing business with um, the broker, that you're pulling the load for, you're also doing business with the equipment provider that owns the container as well. So any event that something happens, they want to make sure that not only do you have auto liability coverage to cover bodily injury and things of that nature, uh, if the tra- if the if the if the truck gets into an accident, but they also want to make sure that the general liability the general liability that your company uh, in it, in itself is, is insured. Okay, okay, okay. No, I feel it, I feel it. And, you know, that's interesting that you say that. I can see why that's very, very important. Um, you know, another one of those things that is, you know, iffy, not all brokers require this, but actually is predicated normally or on where the motor carrier is based out of, like where is their company registered out of um, that says whether or not they have to get workers' compensation. Um, is that something that is required for every single drainage provider, no matter where they're based out of? No, it's okay. not required. So okay. you do have to know your local laws, you know, for the state that you're operating in and whether or not if your drivers are W-2 or if they're 1099, uh, if you're allowed to put your drivers in a W-2 or a 1099 based on the local laws in the state that you're in. But uh, with the UIIA, Equipment providers, most of the equipment providers do not require you to have workman's compensation. The only time you really run into it is when you're dealing with, uh, when you're trying to register with the rail yards. So if you're trying to deal with CSX, uh, Norfolk Southern Rail, things of that nature, uh, there is an addendum that you do have to fill out, uh, an additional, it's additional steps. So you have to fill out an addendum on the UIIA website in order to actually get approved to do the rail rail yards and you may even have to get, fill out an addendum to be approved to op, to handle certain equipment providers containers um but if you don't if you're in one of those states or if you do qualify 
to be exempt from workman's compensation, what you have to actually do is write a letter on your company's letterhead um, and submit that to the UIIA, and they'll actually approve you for that equipment provider in lieu of you having workman's compensation. Okay, cool. I, I didn't know that you can get around it that way. <laughs> yeah, really you, can definitely, you can definitely get around it. Because you, you, you got to understand, like, a lot of guys, especially if you're in Texas, you're not required to have workman's comp unless you have over a certain amount of W-2 employees. So uh, in a state like Texas, you know, you don't, it's not required to have it. Why pay the 14% of your, your payroll percentage to maintain workman's comp if you're not, if it's not a, a state requirement? Um, or if you're, you know, if you're a one-man band, meaning you have, uh, you know, you're the, the owner and the driver, you're essentially exempt from workman's comp because you don't have any employees. So the way around it is, you know, you just write a letter saying, I'm exempt from workman's comp, and you submit it. Mm, got you, got you, got you. Okay, now that makes perfect sense. And you mentioned something that I did want to, you know, talk about a little bit more. All right, the UIIA. All right, mm -hmm. how does a motor carrier get their company in the UIIA, and why is that important that they even do that in the first place? So to me, I think every trucking company should have – um, a connection to the UIIA. It just helps you diversify your portfolio and also broaden your horizons when you're, uh, in, when you, when you're getting into trucking. Um, the first thing you have to do is make sure that the policy that is being offered to you, and unfortunately all, for, for the guys that have Progressive, this is not something that will be an option for you. Um, but you have to make sure that the policy being offered to you has what's called a UIIE1 endorsement or the Truckers Uniform Intermodal Interchange Endorsement on your on your policy. Now, that essentially means that you have um, what's called any and all owned autos on your policy or hired and non-owned on your insurance policy. Those are um, the endorsements that are also required. And they're, they're not expensive. You know, it, it may cost you an extra 400 bucks a year to have those endorsements on there. Um, but if you have those endorsements on your policy at that point, you know, I would recommend you applying for a SCAT code, uh, get your SCAT code, um, file for your insurance code with the UIA and then work with an, an experienced agent. Make sure you have an experienced agent that is able to upload your blanket certificate of insurance, um, or your Accord 22 form to the UIA so you can start getting approved with the equipment providers that you're going to be working with. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. I appreciate you going through that. I mean, so you got to have the UII E1 endorsement on your insurance in order to, uh, you know, be able to get into the UIIA. UIIA stands for Uniform Intermodal Interchange and Facilities Access Agreement in case, uh, you know, you guys missed some of the, previous discussions we've had about drage um but there's there's one other thing that a motor carrier would have to get in order to you know be able to get into the uiia system and that's the scat code what is the scat code and you know what is it really for all right so the scat code is issued um and guys you gotta bear with me because i actually i know what exactly but i gotta look it up while i'm on the phone no, no i got you <laughs> yeah, like the SCAT the, code, it, it stands for Standard Carrier Alpha Code. Um, and the SCAT code is actually issued by the SCAT code is issued by the North, uh, by the National Motor, the National Motor Freight Traffic Association. So in order to get a SCAT code, you actually have to go to nmfta.org, apply for your SCAT code. Uh, there first, and then once you get your SCAT code, then you go to the UIIA and get your insurance, um, your insurance code. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Okay, so that's basically a trifecta, you would say. You, one, you got to yes. get your, your authority, you got to get the endorsement on your insurance, and then you got to get your SCAT code. Um, are we missing, are we leaving anything out? Um, the only, what I would recommend is making sure that the agent that you're going to be working with is experienced with this process because unfortunately, if you get a SCAT code and get an insurance code and <clears throat> you find out after the fact that your insurance is not compliant with the UIA, if you don't upload, if your agent doesn't upload or if you don't upload documents um, proving that you have uh, 
but basically, if you don't upload the documents to the UIN within a thirty minute, a thirty day period, you're gonna have to start the process all over again. Mm-hmm. And you're gonna and you have to pay that. You have to pay that. I think the fee. The last time I checked, I think the fee was three eighty five to register with the UIA, and maybe it may be more now. Um, that was a year ago, so it, it may even be uh, maybe more. Gotcha. Okay. 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 Well, I appreciate you giving me that additional information. Okay. And all right. So now we're actually talking about, um, you know, operating. Okay. So you got to have those things that we just mentioned, but if you actually have a driver, that's going to be able to pull these loads. They have to have a a twit card. Um, How does that come into play when it relates to drayage? I mean, I'm asking you because I know you got, advanced knowledge on all these things like you know (laughs) all of this so i want to pull all these details out so that people who are really you know not who have never heard this but they're a new motor carrier or they're about to get their authority uh they just know the process like right now so your drivers have to have twit cards okay that's first and foremost uh in order to access the port um and depending on when terminals you're going to be pulling out of you you have to get all right for now now i'm going to just throw this out there i'm experienced with the northeast because i'm in jersey when it comes down to the ports even though we, we work with ports in 28 states across the country i'm the most familiar with port north port uh port north port new york um and the philly port right so up here in jersey we have what us uh, we have the twit card and then we also have uh, a c link that you have to have as well okay so the c link up in jersey is very similar to the pen code that you guys have down uh in port savannah and that area okay the c link is tied to the actual motor carrier or the 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 mc number for the motor carrier that you're going to be operating under um, but the TWIT card, um, you have to get the TWIT card first. And the TWIT card is Transportation Workers Identification Card. Okay? The first thing you have to do is you have to apply for your TWIT card. The only thing that will disqualify you from getting a TWIT card, and a lot of people don't, don't realize this, is if you have a felony that pertains to terroristic threats. Mm, specifically. Okay? <laughs> specifically. Okay. Specifically. Okay, if you have something on your jacket that is seven years removed, you can apply for a TWIT card. If they deny you for the TWIT card, at that point, you can apply for an appeal and go through the appeal process and you should get approved. I've had a lot of my guys go through this process and actually get that TWIT card. It took them a little longer but they did get their twit card because they were seven years removed from the day, uh, from the conviction. What's the, what's the value of the twit card? Like why does one need it? So I have a twit card, uh-huh. even though I don't drive. Right. And the reason uh-huh. I have a twit card is the twit card, the twit, um, first and foremost, the twit is an extensive background check that they are running on you as an individual. Right. Once you get that TWIT card, it's going to open you up to uh, the ability to access the ports because these are secure areas that are actually um, managed by the by U.S. Customs and uh, U.S. DOT, right? In addition to the UIIA, so you're going on federal property when you have this TWIT card. Uh, the TWIT, so it's one of the reasons why they actually require you to get the TWIT. Also. The TWIT card also acts as TSA pre-check. People don't realize that. Mm-hmm. So when you have a TWIT card, you actually gives you the ability to bypass uh, security at the airport in a certain degree. Um, so you don't have to, you know, remove your sneakers, shoes, things of that nature. But um, for my hazmat guys who have hazmat clearance on their CDLs, you've also you've already done the first part of the TWIT application. All you have to do at this point is go get the actual identification card. Mm. But it's federal, right. it's another form of federal identity. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, I appreciate that. And this is how I found out what you just said, uh, you know, just on the flip side. You said that you can use your TWIT card as a TSA pre-check. So I, mm-hmm. I got the TSA pre-check in the global entry, and it was once I realized 
that I could have got the Twit card to do those things. Uh, I was you know, well. I don't know about the global entry, but the TSA uh, pre-check. That's how I found out. I went the other route to get that access, but I realized that you can so, uh, get the Twit card to do it. I realized that it's the same process when I yeah. sent my driver to do it. Mm. So I, I sent my driver down there because I, I used to own. Uh, for God, who, for those of you who don't know, I used to own uh, Northern Atlantic Logistics as well. So we ran the ports. We ran Dredge at, uh, at the ports in Port, North, Port New Jersey and in, in, uh, in Philly. Um, so I sent my drivers down there to get it. And then I was like, you know what, let me do this for myself. Just uh, I have one as well. If I want to ever jump in a truck with the driver and do a ride along with the driver, one of my drivers. And I go down there and he's like, oh, and uh, I'm going through the process. And he's like, oh, this is also P- TSA pre-check. It's the same thing. The only difference is we actually give you a physical card with a chip and your phone and your picture on it. There's no different. Mm. I hear you, brother. I hear you. And look, the fact is, the fact that you were operating out of the ports of uh, Newark and right there out of New York, you know, you got you you have the ability to answer this. You know, uh, you guys just took over the, uh, the the title for the busiest ports in the United States. So do you feel like they got the in- infrastructure to handle, you know, that influx of work? Absolutely not. <laughs> like in what capacity long wait times for drivers trying to get on and off it's they don't have enough chassis to support the amount of work that's being that's coming in unfortunately um they don't have the manpower in, in addition to the fact that not only do they have the, have the manpower but because you don't have the manpower enough manpower working the infrastructure they also lack the knowledge to get things done. Um, I personally feel as though Virginia and Virginia Beach is probably one of the most, it's probably the best managed ports that I've, I've seen um, thus far. And they should adopt some of the practices that they have down there because they're so close to the, they're so close to military bases. I feel like they run that port like a military operation. Um, and if they were to adopt some of those practices up here in Jersey, in the New York, New Jersey area, uh, it would actually run a lot smoother. But you're talking ridiculous wait times. My, one of my drivers started stuck in a port for eight hours uh, in one particular terminal. And it was infamous for being stuck in there all day long um, before he could get out. You know, it's, it's just, you know, you, you, I, I kind of have PTSD <laughs> when we start talking about Start talking about the uh, running the ports up here because it. Uh, if you are not, if you don't have a driver that's get up and get in there at, and be online at six o'clock in the morning or five o'clock in the morning, uh, depending on what terminal you're going to up here, you can blow an entire day trying to get one container out. Oh man, 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 man. Okay, and, and all right. So I mean, since you since you had that that experience, what was the process of uh, you know, actually picking up a chassis was that just as long? Like, yeah. That, you, it, you, but, go ahead. Mm-hmm. You could you could literally burn an entire clock. Um, you know, waiting for a chassis. Uh, it was horrible up here in the summertime. Now it's gotten much better. Unfortunately, we are in a recession, so it's not the fact that it's gotten better. It's just that there is just no, there isn't enough work to support the amount of truckers that we have in the area right now. Um, but. You know, I, I've had one of, one of my guys, they said they waited uh, eight hours, eight to nine hours for a chassis, just sitting, waiting for a chassis. Uh, if you weren't like first or second in line trying to get a chassis, you it's a good chance that you just wouldn't get one. Mm, so do you feel like it's uh, it's more so the cheat code to, to purchase your own chassis? If you can find one. Right now is a good time to find one because, again, we're in a recession. People are starting to sell off equipment. Um, so I would start looking for a chassis now, start preparing. For all my guys that hoarded that hoard cash um, and ran their businesses efficiently, I would start looking for my own chassis right now. Mm, got you. I would definitely start looking for them. I, have, I do have a client uh, out of central Jersey. Um, in the, during the last recession at the low, he actually acquired 20 chassis and everybody told him he was crazy for it. And then you fast forward two years ago, 
he had 20 chassis, he had no issues. Right. Because he had, he wasn't worried about trying to find chassis from the chassis pool. He's not worried about, um, you know, leasing on oper- owner operators and trying to find them chassis, you know, trying to have the owner operator sit in line. He's not worried about any of that stuff. He's got 20 chassis in rotation. I hear and you. you. And the crazy thing is if you ask him if he'll sell you one, he'll tell you absolutely not. Not a chance in hell. <laughs> I feel it, man. I definitely feel it. I mean, it's, it's kind of a blessing. Um, you know, I do. I I have a dispatch client who has twenty three chassis, and you know, just mm-hmm. the fact that he doesn't have to worry about going through uh, the pool, it, it definitely makes a difference. So, um, now I hear you, brother. I definitely hear you there. Okay. Um, all right. So, look, this is this this part right here is a conversation that you and I had a little while ago that really inspired, you know, while we're talking right now. Okay. And okay. it's the fact that, okay, so the, you, you've gotten into the UIA, you had the quick card, you mm-hmm. are running and you happen to, you know, link up with a broker or, you know, a freight forwarder who does have that consistent, and for, um, you know, those consistent opportunities. And it's so much so that when they get them, it's a it's a huge influx of immediate containers. You know, you might have your two trucks running every single day, dependable, but they need capacity for about 10 trucks a day. And mm-hmm. they ask you, what can you do? You know, a lot of people, you know, a lot of trucking companies say, oh, I'm not going to let that pass me by i'm going to take advantage of that opportunity have you heard of these type of situations before i keep going all the time okay all the time and when that happens you know when that happens what is the normal route that you've seen people go not the legal route what's the normal route that you've seen people uh do in order to uh take advantage of that influx of you know opportunity so what i've seen people do is they'll accept all 10 containers right let's say and i'm using 10 as a round number they'll accept all 10 containers knowing they can't handle pulling all 10 containers before the last and final day or even storing 10 containers right mm-hmm. so what they'll do is they'll call up you know truckers no truckers you know when you're in a certain industry everybody knows everybody so what they'll do is they end up calling their friend, yo, you know, I have 10 containers, I need, I need help pulling out. And all of these guys will go in and pull these containers out. And they all may have their own authorities, nine times out of 10. Um, so now you have containers, let's say, you know, Jory's Motor Carrier LLC, right? Jory is contracted to pull these 10 containers out, but he goes out and he gets 10, you know, uh, maybe three other guys to help him with them. Those three guys are going into the port, pulling these containers out, but all of the work orders for these containers are in Jory's transportation LOC. Who's responsible for those containers? Jory is. Right, right. right. <laughs> right. Now, what happens if one of those containers ends up missing, one of the containers flips, is damaged, uh, let's say uh, the merchant, you know, anything can happen, right? Who's responsible for that? Jury is, right? Mm-hmm. But the container was not in jury's possession when something happened to it. It was in somebody else's possession. So now you have an issue where jury's insurance is going, where's the container? Whose truck was driving it? The other guy's going, well, this container was in your possession. Um, let me see the work order for the container because, you know, we have an interchange agreement here. We have uh, we have to insure the cargo. I need to see the contract that um, the contract on a manifest showing what goods that you were pulling at the time. And now we have all these insurance companies looking at each other going, you're not supposed to have a container in your possession. Jewelry's supposed to have it in your possession. What are you doing with it? Mm-hmm. You know? And... Does it happen a lot? Yes. It's called day leasing. That's the, the terminology for it. It's called day leasing. It happens every day in the industry. Is it allowed? Absolutely not. It was banned in 1980 by the FMCSA. It happens a lot, but we see it do we see it done every day. Mm, I see. I didn't know there was an actual term. You know that might even show 
you know, you know, my age in this thing. Okay. So daily said, okay, okay. And I mean, so if it was banned, you know, I can understand because who's at fault? There's so many people to go around um, that and no, nobody's insurance company wants to take, you know, uh, a hold of that one. So it's been banned. Um, do you feel like, do you feel like the industry, right? Um, mm-hmm. Do you feel like the industry look at this like double brokering on the domestic truckload side? Or do you feel like they just say, okay, well, I need to get these moves. So, you know, I'm just going to not look. I feel like because of the, because of the demand that we had previously, uh, post, you know, uh, post-recession or pre-recession, mm-hmm. um, that a lot of, a lot of people turned a blind eye to it, unfortunately. Um, brokers, motor carriers, freight forwarders, everybody turned a blind eye to it. And it always becomes an issue when something happens. Now, I always speak from experience. I have had this happen where one of my drivers pinned out a container out of uh, Port of Savannah. Um, he was not supposed to have that container in, was it Savannah? It might have been Savannah. I think it might have been uh, South Carolina. Um, he was not supposed to have this container in his possession, and unfortunately, um, the truck flipped. Okay, the mm. truck flipped coming off of off of the interstate, making a left turn. He did not realize how heavy this container was, and it was on a um, a dual axle chassis and not a triaxle because the container should have been on a triaxle, on a triaxle forty. Mm-hmm. And because of the weight of it, the weight and the commodity that was inside, it was. Um, plastic beads. The load shifted due to the speed that the driver was coming off the interstate and, and flipped. Mm. Yeah. This is another reason why we don't like day leases because if you don't provide the other motor carrier all of the information, they can show up with the wrong equipment to pull this container out. Right? Now, again, I'm always speaking from experience. If I tell you I need help with pulling a 20-foot container out of the port. But I, what I don't tell you is that it's a 60,000-pound 60,000 uh, 20-foot container that's loaded up with granite tile, you know, with, with pieces of granite tile. You're going to show up with a... Um, a regular 20. Show up with, a, with a regular 20. Yeah, two axes on the 20. When you should have showed up with a tandem axle 20, Right. Mm-hmm. You also should have an overweight permit because you're severely overweight. You're severely overweight. So if you show up with the wrong equipment, and of course that crane operator is not going to care, he's going to drop it on your uh, on your chassis, and you go to pull out of there and you flip. Who's that? Who's 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 one? Who's at fault? Two? Who do you think DOT is not going to dig dig a grave for? You, because Man. you're way out of compliance. Right. No, I definitely hear you there, brother. So when it comes, all right, so you asked, I mean, you asked the question, but that was really one of the questions that I wanted to ask is the ramifications for something like this. And let's take it to even a little bit further. Is it uh, the dispatcher? Like, would the dispatcher be roped into that too? And I'm, I'm asking because I know that a lot of dispatchers do, um, you know, work the ports. So, you know, if something like that is not communicated and there is something adverse that happens, there is an accident, the, the, the container flips, who really can get roped into uh, the liability? It really depends on the paper trail. Um, you know, quite honestly, the, the liability could be brought on the dispatcher. Um, not necessarily the dispatcher, but the liability can be broke on to the broker if all of the information was not communicated. Uh, case in point is one of my guys actually hit a bridge here in Jersey about two months ago. He pulled the container out that they told him uh, it was legal height. And unfortunately it was a, uh, the commodity actually was, it was an open top container. The commodity was a um, cell phone tower. It was four parts of a cell phone tower. Um, one of the pieces to the cell phone tower was above 14 feet and the driver should have showed up with a low boy flatbed gooseneck and he showed up with a regular uh, a regular uh, he showed up with a regular chassis and 
when they pulled it out, unfortunately, they were driving up the interstate and the bridge that he went under. He the driver saw that it was kind of low and didn't realize how low. He thought it was kind of low. Yeah, it was like you know how low can you go? <laughs> it was kind of low, and he slowed down before he actually smacked this bridge. He was going under the bridge, and at the last tip, he wedged it. Mm. Yeah. Now, in a case like this, because the motor carrier was able to prove, um, the motor carrier was able to prove that he did not provide him with enough information to show up with the correct equipment to pull us out. The motor carrier, the uh, the broker actually uh, accepted responsibility for it. Luckily, he did, because. When DOT showed up, state troopers showed up, and the, the, um, not the wrecker, um, the, it's not the wrecker, it's called the, um, that's the other big, uh, with the crane on the back, the, um, I can't think of it, but anyway. Well, like, has the boom on it? Yeah, it's got the boom, it's got the straps, it's got everything on it, it's called the rotator, I'm sorry. Yeah, 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 rotator. When the rotator showed up. When the rotator showed up, they realized all they had to do was deflate the tires. So they deflate the tires to the truck, deflate the tires to the chassis, and they get them unwedged. But then they told the truck, and they told the trailer, and they hand the driver a bill. Take a wild guess at how much they charge this driver to, to deflate his tires. Uh, I couldn't even imagine, man. <laughs> $42,000. See, I was going to say like twenty five. I was like, nah, that's too much. Don't do that, George. Forty two thousand dollars. <laughs> what? Forty two thousand dollars. And I have the receipt to show because they were ready to file a claim. Luckily, and is that for? Luckily, my bad. Is that is that does that hit the towing bill or does that hit another part of the insurance policy? That was the tow bill. Oh that man. Was the tow bill. Now. Now, here's the thing. The broker accepted responsibility, and the broker actually paid the $42,000 bill. Luckily. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because they were they, they were ready to sell the truck and tell the broker to keep your commodity, keep, you know, just whatever, keep it. I don't care. Because they didn't have $42,000 to pay that bill. Right. I mean, yeah. a lot of people don't have that type of cash. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So now, you know, let's talk about doing it the right way <laughs> no daily <laughs> thing okay what's the what's the proper way to go about you know uh having that opportunity to scale your company because you know via your relationships you do have those opportunities that are you know evergreen they're ongoing and they're only mm-hmm. gonna they're only gonna grow from there because you you're you're networking with the right people. You're talking with the yeah. right people and they want to work with you. What's the way that those people can, you know, get their company structure correctly to handle that new business? Okay. In so, the form of lease on. There's a there's the right way to do it, there's the wrong way to do it, and there's the way everybody's been doing it, right? Okay. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm just gonna throw this out there. Some of you are not gonna like the answer that I get. And a lot of you probably have been programmed to believe to believe other things that you've heard in the industry, but I'm going to tell you what we are looking for from an insurance standpoint and how it should be done from a motor carrier standpoint, okay? If you're gonna lease somebody onto your authority, right? First off, you have to have a conversation with your insurance agent to make sure that the insurance company that you have contracted with to insure your company allows you to have motor car- um, owner operators on the insurance, right? A lot of these insurance companies don't allow or don't even like you to have uh, owner operators on the policy, especially if you're in that freshman, sophomore year, meaning you're in the first year, second year, um, not going into your third. When I say junior, because I go freshman, sophomore, junior, senior. Mm-hmm. Realistically, they want you to be a senior when you start taking on owner operators for the the more reputable insurance carriers, right? Now, so your first thing you want to do is have that conversation with your with your agent to make sure you can even do this, right? Once you confirm what the fleet mix has to be, whether it be uh, four to one, meaning you have to have four own trucks before you can have one owner operator, or maybe they say you have to own four trucks 
um, the most you can add on the sport trucks the first year. They all have to be owned by you, and you can't get an owner operator until you go into year two, whatever the case may be. Confirm that first. If you happen to be one of the individuals that have an insurance carrier that will allow you to do to get owner operators, the first thing you want to do is make sure you talk to an attorney and have an airtight lease agreement. Mm. An airtight lease agreement. Because when you take on an owner operator, that individual, then that individual is representing you as a motor carrier. Your name is not plastered on the side of that individual's truck. On that cab card, it says your name uh, under the lines, who is financially responsible for this truck? It's your name on there. You need to make sure that you have the infrastructure in place to have an airtight lease agreement. You have an inspection um, and somebody to go out and inspect those trucks because if they fail an inspection, that also affects your DOT. You need to make sure that you're running background checks on those drivers. You know, that to me, I run background checks on all my drivers. The only thing that will disqualify me from hiring a driver is um, a charge of sexual in nature. If you got something on there that has anything to do with sex or a sex offense, I'm not, I will not hire you. You can have a poke me, you can have a get off me, whatever the case may be, um, um, a drug charge, whatever the case may be, I don't care. But if you got to get off me on your on your uh, background, I'm not hiring you. Um, run your backgrounds, right? Run the drug test. They have to qualify in the consortium just like everybody else. So you want a lease agreement, background check, drug test, MVR. Once you get... Uh, get through all of that, go over what your requirements are for them to have insurance. Because they also, even though they're running under your authority, they need to have what's called non-truckers liability insurance. And they have, and they should have at least a million dollars in non-truckers liability insurance. So when they're not running under your authority and they have the truck on the road to get an oil change, to get fuel, for maintenance, to get it washed, if something happens, again, your name's on the side of that truck. They're not coming after you at that point because they're not running a load for you. They're going after the person that actually owns the truck under their non-trucker's liability policy. That non-trucker's liability policy also needs to have you listed as an additional insured on that policy. So any event, some, something like that happens, <clears throat> when the attorneys get involved and the attorney sends you a letter saying you're being sued and you're being roped into this litigation, you have access to that other individual's non-trucker's liability policy to say, hey, listen, he has his own insurance. He wasn't running under my authority. He was doing uh, running on his own um, uh, on on his own time. This goes under that policy. Okay. okay. That's okay. the correct way to that's the correct way to do it. Okay. Now, what's common practice? You got a truck. I have an authority. How much does it cost to add this truck to my authority? Add this truck to my authority. Add this driver to my authority. Here's his MBR. He qualifies. Done. I see it every day. Mm. I see it every day. And what happens is two, three, four months down the line, I get an email. Hey, remove this owner operator from my um from my policy. He's no longer running with us. Yada yada, whatever the case may be. And they're Doesn't done. That doesn't that hurt eventually, you know, having yes, all those? Yes, it does. Okay. Yes, it does. Because now I have to prove why I'm removing a truck from your authority, I mean, from your insurance. I have to prove it. And if you don't have a lease agreement, um, if you don't have a lease agreement with that individual, show them proof or material reason why I'm taking that truck off. Because if that truck still has your name on the side of it or that cab car still has your name on it, I can't remove it. So you have to get me a lease termination agreement saying hey, this individual is no longer running under my authority. Once I have that, then I can submit the documentation to the underwriter to have that removed. I got you. I got you, brother. Okay. Well, look, let me ask this. Mm -hmm. What is the difference between, you know, that owner operator who's leased on having bobtail insurance versus... Mm -hmm. You know what you said, which was the non-truckers liability insurance. Is it one and the same, or are those very two two different policies? They're um, virtually one and the same. Okay, they're virtually one and the same. Bobtail, Bobtail insurance is basically 
Um, like if you're deadheading and things of that nature, it's very, it's very, they're very, very, very similar, even though they have different names. Um, to be honest with you, you really can't tell the difference between a bobtail and a non-trucker's liability policy. Okay. I use the term non-trucker's liability because Progressive loves non-trucker's liability. That's what everybody goes to get when they need bobtail insurance. It's the easiest policy to get. Uh, They'll call it non-trucker's liability, but if you go somewhere else, they go, I need, I need a bobtail. Okay. No, I'm happy to learn, you know, we got the colloquial version and then we have, you know, what the industry actually knows it as, you know. Um, so I, that's why I wanted to make sure that I, I was put, I was looking at apples and apples versus, you know, am I tripping? Are these two different things? <laughs> yeah, yeah, but I definitely clarify that. And, um, you know, that was a very thorough process. Um, and I appreciate you for going through it. I have seen it more so on the you know the the latter you know uh what's the bare minimum we need to do in order to uh get linked up without the understanding of how tied to one another uh you know it's it's, it's, it's kind of like a marriage it's definitely like mm-hmm. a marriage um allowing an owner operator to lease on to a company um thankfully the people that i've seen it from you know up close and personal uh, they have gone about it more of the appropriate way, you know, because mm-hmm. they were the ones that really taught me about the, the true process and, you know, why, you know, speed isn't always what you need to, to get a deal done. You just got to make sure that you're doing it the correct way. So Yeah, I, I can tell you from experience, I've been doing this for a while, all of the motor carriers pop up and try to grow extremely fast. And they want to get owner operators and they're being real quick and making decisions on haste. I want to say nine out of ten of them failed. Mm. Either it was very easy post, it was very easy over the past two years to jump into the industry and make money because it was just a high demand for trucks and truckers, right? But now that we're moving into the recession, all the ones that were just trying to fly by night and just, you know, running under the radar and cutting corners, they're being exposed. And they can't hack it, unfortunately. And they're failing. And I see it every day. I'll, I had uh, even a week. It's crazy because we take a very strong consultative approach to insurance. Whereas when we're working with our clients, we try to educate you as much as possible on the do's and don'ts in the industry. And if you don't take heed to that, honestly, I won't even write your policy. Because I know where it's going to lead, where it's going to lead you to, and I don't want to deal with I'm going out of business down, you know, you know, three months down the line, because that affects me too. As as an agency owner, we're looked at our retent, you know, we're 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 rated on a retention ratio. So, mm. so I, I I look at this from a totally different uh, perspective. Also, because we don't, I don't even advertise. All of my clients have come to me. It was referred to me by somebody that was already in the industry. Um, so when I when I get people in, I only take quality business for the most part. Even with me only taking quality business in the month of November, we lost eight people. Wow, we lost eight clients saying they could not hack it because the, the it, they just the rates took them out. Yeah, but those ironically enough, those eight individual, those eight companies, I knew weren't running the way they should have been. They were cutting corners. Mm. And this is not just grace. This is just all across. This is all across the board. And we, I can, and it's, it's, a lot of times people think we can't tell. I can tell when somebody's cutting corners. I can tell by the pattern of certificates of insurance. I can tell by how many times you're asking me to, uh, to add a driver to your policy. Um, I can tell based on how many times I get an alert from the insurance carrier that you're not making your payments on time. Uh, if I do a midterm underwriting, meaning I go into the system and I start pulling MBRs midterm, uh, and I start looking at safer scores and things of that nature, I can tell. I can tell. And sometimes I'll even go into uh, safer, start pulling stuff, look at your inspection history, and if you're if the if the VIN numbers on the truck that was inspected don't match the VIN numbers that you gave me, I know you have somebody running under your authority. Mm-hmm. I can tell. 
which causes you to what say that you know basically let oh, them, at that point, you I'm, won't I'm be able to rewrite. I, no, I backdate the endorsement. Mm. I look at the, I look at the date of the truck being inspected. I look at the date from when your policy was went into inception. And if I find based on the date that that truck was inspected versus uh, the date that that policy was written, I'm going to add that truck back. Uh, I'm going to backdate that endorsement back to the day your policy was written. So if you owe, let's say your, your premium was eighteen thousand a year per truck, you now owe eight, another eighteen thousand dollars for that particular truck because I'm going to add it to your policy. Woo, man! And I want it. In, and I want it in full. Right. Wow. Nah, I mean, <laughs> woo! <laughs> you know, you gotta just take your time, y'all. Just do what you need to do on the front end, so you don't have to, you know, look for that surprise check in the mail. Excuse me, uh, you know, bill in the mail. Um, no, I appreciate yes. that. I appreciate that. Um, as far as you know, the Dre is right because, you know, in the comments we we were hearing a lot of, or I saw some folks. Um, you know, saying is how a lot of things have really slowed down. They're seeking opportunities in drainage. Um, do you feel like you found any, you know, tips or do you have any strategies maybe that you can uh, disclose on, you know, the, 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 the best places to find those drainage opportunities? Um, when it comes to drainage, I always say because there isn't a load board for drainage um, with the exception of load match. Um, I always say start. You can start with low match. Um, and get yourself registered on low match. Just go to lowmatch.com and get yourself registered on there. They may, I don't know if they still have the pause on there where they're not taking any new applicants because I heard they had stopped taking new motor carriers over the summer. But um, get yourself registered with low match. It's inexpensive. It's like six hundred bucks for the whole year. It's cheap. Yeah, that's the um, most affordable load board, probably. <laughs> yeah, it's cheap. It's, it's not expensive at all. Um, and then once you get on there, build relationships with the freight forwarders and the brokers that are going to be sending out requests for bids. Don't chase every penny and every cent that's being thrown at you because you're going to get inundated with, with, uh, with requests, right? And some people, you know, they love to go, I'm going for the big number, I'm going for the top dollar, but the big number is going to be here and going tomorrow, right? You want consistent work. So if you have a container that's going, let's say, 100 miles, that's going to pay you 1100 bucks. I'd rather take 10 containers that's going to take, that's paying 1100 bucks, than take one container that's going to pay me $3,000. Why? Because that one container that's paying $3,000 it's going to be here today and going tomorrow. But you just left $10,000 on the table chasing $3,000. Mm-hmm. Build right. those relationships, especially when it comes, especially when you have, you're in times right now where we're in a recession. And I'm throwing this out there because I don't know if any of y'all realize we are in a recession. Um, when you're currently in a recession and there isn't a lot of freight or the a lot of freight going around or the rates are declining drastically as they are. You want to have the relationships with the brokers and the freight forwarders where they're keeping you busy. All my guys that ran clean, that um, ran clean, built relationships, they are not missing a beat. They're actually adding trucks. They're growing. Where my guys that, you know, were chasing every dollar and every cent, they're deleting trucks. You know, they they have they're having issues booking loads because the brokers really don't want to work for them because they know they're gonna work with me today and they try to work with somebody tomorrow and they try to work another guy another day. Mm -mm. They want all brokers and uh, freight forwarders want consistency. Now, for those of you who don't know what a freight forwarder is, a freight forwarder is an individual that has a freight before the broker gets it. The freight forwarder gives it to the broker. You want to build a relationship with a freight forwarder more so than you want to build. If you get if you have the opportunity. To come across a freight forwarder that specializes in dredge, you want to shake that person's hand. Send them a gift. Build a relationship with them. Dedicate a truck to them because they're going to pay you faster than anybody else. They actually wire trucks for the money. It's you via ACH. How long does it take to get onboarded with a, a, a freight forwarder, would you say, from your experience? 
Um, it's very it's very quick. Uh, they'll let you know what their requirements are. A lot of times, they just want you to send over a certificate of uh, insurance, and then you also have to fill out their W nine and also, uh, and they also let them know how you want to get paid. You know, if you want to get paid via ACH, if you want to get paid via wire transfer, if you want them to, if you want them to mail you a check, you know, they'll give you those options. Whereas with a broker, you know, you know, you're going to probably wait unless they have quick pay. You're going to wait 30 days uh, or you have to go through factory. I got you. I love it, man. I think I think that uh, what you just said is definitely something that I can attest to 100 percent. Everything is relationships. Everything is based on a relationship. Okay. The reason why you and I are having this conversation right now is because we have a relationship. Um, the reason why anything happens in supply chain is because there was a previous relationship established and, you know, now the deal is done. So, you know, is what, what he basically said to everybody was, yeah, it's, it's not wrong to start on load match. But the whole point, just like if you're on DAT, is not to stay on it. It's to get those relationships so that you don't have to hunt every single day anymore. You, you already know what's on the horizon because you've developed the relationship enough so that they tell you these things. And, uh, yeah, so I, I, I appreciate that. I mean, so freight forwarder for sure. You know what I kind of I came up on, which is, Along in the same lines as a freight forwarder, but the NVOCCs, the the people who you know kind of uh, book out the spaces on the actual steamships, sometimes they have a wing, they have an arm that also is that also provides brokerage services. So I would add reaching out to your 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 neighborhood NVOCC um, to also find some of those drainage opportunities. And, uh, hmm, is there, is there anything else that, you know, we, we, you know, somebody who was getting into drainage, um, might need to consider, is there anything else? Joey, I'm not sure if that's my phone or your phone, but we, I, I could not hear you, uh, for like the past 30 seconds. Okay. Well, let's just say that it was my phone. Okay. I okay. was going to. Can you hear me now? <laughs> I can hear you now. Yeah. Okay. Let's just say it was me. All right. Uh, so what I what I was getting to right there was, are there any other considerations that a carrier should take into place if they were interested into getting into uh, into drainage? Uh, take your time. Um, one of the other things you could do is actually, if you're getting into this, and you know you think you have the capacity to support a larger contract, is don't be afraid to call. Uh, the procurement office at some of these um, companies like Walmart, Home Depot, um, Target, um, you know, all these companies, they import freight. All, all, no, nothing is made here in the United States. It's all coming from somewhere else. It comes here, it goes to a warehouse, it, it's transloaded, and then it goes to uh, the retail store or whatever, wherever it's got to go and, or, or at the, in the end. Um, don't be afraid to build relationships with um with the procurement office and get registered directly with the procurement office and do it that way. Take your time, do research first. I can't stress that enough. I cannot stress it enough. You know, it, it pains me when I see somebody go out and buy a truck just because they see somebody else buy a truck and say, I'm going to do the same thing they're doing. Somebody else is doing it. It's not that easy. Um, take your time, do the research. Uh, if you are going to take a course, um, do a lot of research on the individual that's going to be teaching that course uh, and then make sure that it, it pertains to what you're going to be looking for. I don't teach courses. Well, I'm just throwing it out there now. Uh, it pertains to what you're looking for. I'm going to tell you right now, um, the terminology passive, the terminology of passive income is thrown around a lot in the trucking industry. Trucking is not passive. You have to be hands-on. It's, it has to be something that you touch, feel, and look at every day. Uh, if you're allowing somebody else to tr- to run your trucking company, you, you know, you're basically going to allow somebody else to run it to the ground because nobody's going to run it the way you would run it. Um, and if you don't have the time to run a trucking company, it's not the right time for you. Um, do extensive research. Extensive research. Once you are, you feel comfortable enough, 
whereas a lot of the stuff that you're looking for or looking at is starting to come circle back to you over and over again. And at that point, it may be time for you to get, uh, make the decision to, to move forward. But um, realistically, I, I would tell anybody that's looking to get into this industry right now, take your time. Just take your time. Just take your time. Okay. Well, I appreciate that, brother. I, I truly do. Um, you know, I I probably have about 30 more questions, but I'm going to save them. <laughs> Just because I, I got do- a- I got a couple more minutes. Okay. All right. Well, look, well, let me ask this. Um, mm-hmm. You know, this is a little, this is more specific, right? This is okay. you already operating and, you know, your mindset to use these pieces of information. But, like, how did, you know, the ERD and the cutoff time, you know, play a role in your operation? So, ERD, earliest return date, and the cutoff time. Mm-hmm. Like, how did you? Like, how did you cater your operation around those things? All right. So, <laughs> that's a loaded question, Jerry. Yeah, right? <laughs> I, I try to say it. I try. <laughs> that's loaded. So, you know, the ERD comes into play when you're doing exports. And, you know, really, realistically, you have to have storage in order to, to – try to get ahead of a lot of those things um for us we were we were blessed enough to have uh uh six and six different parking spots or storage locations um to store containers and if we needed to we could go up to uh to eight um where we where were leaving the trucks so for us when it came out to the erd um we would work with we would actually work with the broker to see, hey, listen, can we pick up this freight early, right? Um, if we could pick it up early, we'll work with you on a storage, but we really want to get it on the, you know, as long as it's not perishable, we want to get it in the container and get it to the yard. So when we know when the ERD is and they start accepting those containers uh, at the port, we can get them delivered as soon as possible. And the great thing about it is, you know, with, with the ERD and, and doing an export, at the end of the day, you're left with an empty chassis. So you may be able to do a double move in the port, whereas you could return, take a, uh, do an export, take that container into the port, drop it off, take a loaded container into the port, drop it off, and then turn around and pull a loaded container out of the port and put that container in storage and deliver it another day. So in your mind, you know, exports, you know, might be it just because you have the ability to come up on on the way out. I love exports. Ex- mm-hmm. To me, exports are the way to go, um, especially when you have backlogs with like, and now we're going to get a little technical. We have backlogs with like Yang Ming. Mm-hmm. We couldn't return Yang Ming containers or Hot Pack Lloyd containers um, or Oni containers. Um, you know, we had uh, uh, actually even CMA containers at one point in time. When we had issues with returning those containers, you get stuck with an empty container for shit a month mm-hmm. trying to get it off. And if you don't have the ability to get another chassis, how are you going to continue running your operation if all your chassis are tied up with empty containers on them? Okay. Mm-hmm. So the way we what we would do is if we had an issue where we had we had the inability to work to to return empty containers, at that point we start making phone calls to some of the brokers I know that specialize in export. And I'll let them know, hey, listen, I got five CMA containers sitting on my lot. Or I got 10 Yang, uh, Yang Mings. Or I got, the most I've had was 10 Yang Mings, which was awful. Um, <laughs> or I got 10 Yang Mings. You know, I have high-pack Lloyds, you know, 24 high-pack Lloyds. Do you have anything available, you know, that, we, that can be exported? We can street turn these containers and, ex- and uh, street turn the containers and use them as an export. You know, whether you... Um, you know, and at that point, they want to know what's the condition of the container. You might have to take pictures of it, stuff like that. So they can see, you know, what it looks like, depending, depending on the commodity that's going to be put into it. But, you know, again, it's all boils down to making sure you have strong relationships in the industry. So, you know, we, we reach out, we call those brokers, and that's how we were getting rid of them. Because if not, you, you get, you'll get stuck. You'll get stuck. And all the brokers going to say is, oh, man, buddy, I'm sorry. You know, I'm working with you, you know. Uh, uh, did you reach out to the carrier, the, the equipment provider, to see if they're going to charge you per diem or not? Uh, or, or, or can you help us with the per diem? No, I'm not paying per diem. I'm not right. paying it. 
Right, right, right. Okay. Well, I appreciate you for going in on that. Um, do you ever, you know, when it comes to dreads and maybe even some of the items that somebody might be exporting or importing, do you ever see stuff that is like they require higher cargo coverage? Like, and I mean, how do you feel about just that service as a whole? Um, somebody being able to get um, increased insurance coverage on like a single load that's high volume, um, excuse me, high value cargo. So you can you can actually temporarily increase your cargo depending on what carry you have. Uh, you can call up and say, hey, listen, I got a load that's uh, the broker wants me to have $250,000 in cargo insurance. Uh, can I get an increase? And you can increase it for a certain amount of time that you need it for. So if you need it for, let's say you're only going to have the container for me in your possession maybe three days or four days, they'll increase it for a week. And then it'll automatically drop back down to 100000 after that week is up. Um, I, I'm going to be honest with you. I actually prefer to have, take the more high-value loads at, you know, because most everybody in the industry has $100,000 in cargo insurance. Right. A lot of guys don't have two fifty or five hundred thousand dollars. So when you're bidding on these lanes, we're broke, you know, against all the other motor carriers. You may be bidding on a load of, let's say it's a reefer load with gummy bears. It may be twenty five guys or high in the market, maybe a hundred guys bidding on the same load. But if I got a load of uh, open top container, that's um, uh, what did we do? We had an open top container of coiled uh, wire that was copper wire. They required two fifty. Not a lot. Of, not a lot of guys bidding on that because they don't have two hundred fifty thousand dollars in cargo. And the crazy part about it is, they don't even realize. A lot of, a lot of guys don't realize the difference between having a hundred thousand in cargo and two fifty in cargo. Maybe a couple hundred bucks. That's it. That is it. That's. I'm. I'm so happy you said that because look at how how much of a uh, a distinguisher that is to have 250k um but because you know you got to pay more did you ask how much more <laughs> because it yeah. might be worth it yeah it might be worth so, it <laughs> so here's, here's, here's the funny thing right when my phone rings and i get somebody that, that that calling me up and i'm putting guys i'm putting my insurance agent hat back on right now um when the phone rings and i get somebody on the phone and they're screaming my insurance is too high i, I can't you know I, I don't know what I'm paying for and stuff like that. And as we're going through the conversation, one of the first things I always tell guys is stop shopping for price, shop for coverage. Shop okay. for coverage. Now, of course, you want to make sure the coverage is affordable. But when you shop based on price, you're going to get burned. Somebody's going to sell you something that looks like an M&M, but it's going to be a sugar-coated piece of shit. Excuse my friend. <laughs> Um, and I see it all the time, especially when I have people calling me up, like I got Mojave and I need to get off of this crap. I'm like, okay, <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You did that to yourself. It was cheap. They ran, they took, they took a price, uh, or they go with a risk retention group like OIDA. It was cheap because you were shopping based on price. And then they realized after the fact, I can't do much with this. They're limiting my growth. They want to do hair sample consortiums on my drivers, and I can't find a driver because they're failing the drug test because they're doing they're doing hair samples. But my driver hasn't smoked. Um, my driver's telling me he hasn't smoked in three months, but they're doing hair sample. He failed the drug test because they did a hair right. sample on him. Right. Um, or a wider wrote a policy for me, and it's a risk retention group, and I'm trying to register with the UIA, and I'm realizing now the UIA doesn't like risk retention groups, and I can't book any loads. So what do I do now? And I have to switch your coverage to something that is, and maybe a little more, but now you have the right insurance policy to actually run your operation efficiently. Right, right. There's a big difference between effective and efficient. You want to shop based on what can I do to make sure my business can run efficiently. Agreed. Agreed, agreed, agreed. Okay. Um, and this right here will be my last question. <laughs> okay. My last okay. question is, we talked about it earlier, 
uh, standard carrier alpha code. When it comes to actually getting in there and, you know, you're operating, how does your SCAT code come back into play, you know, throughout your normal operation? So depending on what port you are, so some ports, um, some ports use a SCAT, some use a pen, but um, when you start pulling out of the ports, they're going to actually wish it. They always scream, what's your SCAT code? What's your SCAT code? And you have to give them your SCAT code when you're at the turn at the gate to make sure um, so you can actually get in there and pull that container out. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Gotcha, gotcha. And I mean, so going back to that whole day leasing situation, that person mm -hmm. screaming out somebody else's uh, SCAT code? Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. Now, depending on now, it's it's you can get away with it at certain places. You can't get away with it uh, in others. When I say certain ports, certain terminals, you can get away with it. And then there are certain locations where you you can't do it. You can't do it. Okay. All right. Well, well, look, man. I appreciate you. Is there anything that you wanted to say uh, as we closed out the room? No, just thank you for having me. I, I you know I really enjoy these conversations. I haven't been on Clubhouse in a very long time. The app looks totally different from when we first started during COVID. Um, but, uh, you know, honestly, guys, my, my, the only thing I can really give you guys based on this conversation at this point is uh, just do your due diligence. Do your due diligence and take your time. Because if you rush into this, you, you, you'll be rushing into a brick wall, unfortunately. You got to take your time. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Well, thank you so much for that advice. Uh, we appreciate you for joining us up here. And, uh, Everybody, again, man, it's, it's fourth quarter. We got two weeks left in, t in 2022. So uh, just feel free to hit me up if there's anything I can do to help. Um, but definitely finish strong. And uh, I guess join us on Monday as we partner with FreightWave's Sonar team to let you know where to position your trucks to take advantage of the market. Um, but, yeah, appreciate you, brother. You have a blessed evening. Everybody else, too. You, too. Thank you.